0: Welcome to the Idle Book Club for September 2016. I'm Chris Rima.
1: I'm Sarah Argadale.
0: And this month we're discussing the Raymond Carver short story collection, What We Talk About When We Talk About Love. Uh, next month we're going to be reading I Love Dick by Chris Krause, and we'll talk a little bit more about that at the end of the episode. But now let's get into the Raymond Carver. So the this book, uh, What We Talk About When We Talk About Love, is a collection of very short, short stories. I was actually, not having read Carver before, I was kind of surprised by how incredibly short most of these stories are, especially coming from last week's, I'm sorry, last month's Alice Munro collection. Um, so Sarah, I know that neither of us had read Carver before. How did you react to these stories? What were, or what were your expectations and and how did you react to them?
1: I had never read Carver before, but the what gets mentioned a lot about him is the the shortness of the the prose and the writing um so i w- I was expecting this minimalist um writing style but I was not anticipating my reaction to it, which was um very startling especially with the first couple of short stories. It took me um five or six of them before i i felt fully comfortable with his style of writing um and you know luckily because the first couple of short stories i think on average are four pages long you can go through it yeah. pretty quickly
0: i think they top out at about 15 pages
1: yeah the uh, the uh penultimate short story which is the what, title story right yeah. what we talk about when we talk about love i think is 20, 25 pages. And
0: if that, yeah. um,
1: and that definitely <laughs> felt like such a strong outlier to all the other ones. Um, so I was, I was expecting this very pithy style, but I, uh, because I just don't read writing like that. Like modern authors do not write yeah. in in this way. Um, definitely. It, it reminded me um <clears throat> Of being in in high school and reading Jane Austen for the first time and being exposed to kind of the 1800s style of writing, which also is is not similar to modern prose, but kind of in comparison to Carver, the the novel the novels of that period um, are a little bit more like what I'm accustomed to reading. Almost, so it's like having to train myself to be reading these short stories. Um, so that was an initial struggle. And I actually should really go back. And now that I've become accustomed to his writing, I should go back and reread those first five or six short stories to see if I react better to them. Because when I initially started reading this collection, I did not enjoy what I was reading. Um, what about you?
0: I think I didn't have a an initially positive or negative response. I don't think I was just really surprised. <laughs> you know, as you say, with Carver, you're uh, the thing everyone knows about him is terseness and, and brevity and concision. But I but these stories all ended before I expected. And I just didn't quite know what to make of it. I mean, by the time I was done, I really liked it. I not even by the time I was done. I mean, by the time I was a third of the way through, I was really into it. I I liked this book a lot. Um, I mean, you never really actually said where you ended up. Did you like it?
1: In in the end, I I feel mostly positive about it. Yeah. Do you remember if there was a particular story that, um, really pushed you over the edge? Because for me, there there was one story that I read early on where I was just like, oh, okay, now I see what the big deal is. Which one was that? That was the bath. So the the bath is. Yeah. The story about the the little boy who, on his birthday, gets run over, or not not even run over, like clipped,
0: sort of struck, yeah, by a
1: car, um, and ends up in in a coma. And it's about his his parents dealing with this trauma. And um the the story begins and ends with this birthday cake that the the mother is buying for the the little boy, and and like all of these stories. Um, it's incredibly simplistic um, I mean it's this boy's b- birthday something horrible happens and it th- the story leaves you feeling like it's probably not gonna get any better um, but meanwhile like the mother forgot to pick up this birthday cake so like in the face of unbelievable trauma and suffering like life still rolls on in the background which is a, like a kind of story that writers of all types g- turn to. Um, this is not like anything unbelievably groundbreaking, but the way that it it is written um, it feels very, very felt very, very powerful to me. Um,
0: I think the thing that struck me most about the particular dynamic you're describing is the sense you get that the baker is increasingly irritated at all of this with no frame of reference for why the people on the other end of it are not just acting like normal people and picking up this, paying for this cake.
1: Right. Like the baker keeps calling the parents saying like, aren't you going to come get this cake that you paid for? And meanwhile, you know, they're, they're unbeknownst to him, they're dealing with this, this sickness of their child. Right. And it's just such a, such an obvious, a lot of things in this book feel incredible. It's, it's something that is like once you read it, it's like oh, of course, like of course, I I realize that um, kind of the the dark humor of life is that horrible things happen simultaneously with the most mundane things going on, right? And that's again not something com- like earth shattering, and yet the the way that he directly d- demonstrates that in in like four pages of writing. Um, it's a sensation of when somebody is able able to verbalize a sensation that you yourself have, but like have never been able to express succinctly. Um, so when you hear somebody else do it, it's like, oh, I, I immediately recognize that sensation because I felt the same way. I just have never been able to put it into straightforward words. And, and that's what reading these Carver stories feel like, like expressing...
0: Well, and, and sometimes I found that they, it wasn't even put into words. It was just sort of painted in, it was sort of implied, Mm -hmm. you know, I think a lot of what goes on in these stories, or at least a lot of what goes on in the interiority of the characters is, it's as though the characters themselves are having the sensation you're describing of being unable to put things into words. You know, a lot of characters will sort of fixate on some minor thing that's happening or some object, uh almost as though they are trying to figure out why they're feeling what they're feeling and how to express it, but they, but they can't. Um, and a lot of the people in this book are people whose lives seem to have plateaued or stalled in some way or hit some, uh, or gone off the rails in a way that they have not figured out how to, um, how to address. And the, the story that you brought up, the bath was actually notable to me, not because it was where I, sort of got on board because I think I was already on board by that point. But that one was notable to me in that in how domestic and uh, otherwise serene the lives of the people involved were, right? Like we come into that story at the moment, the actual destabilizing event takes place. Whereas, uh, but you get the sense that before that happened, these people were living a fairly typical middle class you know placid life, but all the stories preceding it are about people whose lives have already kind of turned to just mush, you know, and they're sort of just going through going through it and so i I was shocked at that story by how not tragic the characters already were, you know yeah um a thing that on that note, I guess actually a thing that was very notable to me, especially in contrast to last month's Alice Monroe collection, is how much these stories focus on people in their middle age, in some cases older. Um, you know, there's a story about the older couple at bingo, which I I, I kind of loved. Um, but most of these stories are about people who have had, you know, a failed marriage or are in a, a, a tense marriage that they've been in for years now. And, you know, or they're just sort of lonely people and the specifics of that loneliness are not described. Um, And to some degree, I almost felt as though some of this material was almost out of my grasp. You know, I'm in my early 30s. Um, You're in your late 20s. I mean, we're pretty close in age, but neither of us is really in the age range that most of these characters are. And um, at least the Monroe collection we read, and I know you've told me this is not necessarily – this isn't necessarily true of all of her work, but certainly the one we read last week was disproportionately about – You know, younger women, women in their in their twenties. I guess some cases late teens. um, Sometimes women looking back on those young years, and some of that stuff. Even though, as as you pointed out last week, it was largely from the perspective of women, you know, of of which I'm not one. um, I still felt like some of those dynamics were sort of accessible to me, if by proxy. Uh, whereas in the case of a lot of these Carver stories, I definitely felt like I was reading about people whose life experience outstrips my own um, in a really raw way, and I found that really uh, compelling. And further obfuscated by the incredible like amount of uh, you know the the this terseness and and um, distance that that we have in these stories. I don't know. Did that? Did that? hit you at all
1: yeah uh so i'm gonna use a, a really weird example here but have you ever seen the breakfast club the, the i actually Hughes? haven't i'm okay. totally out of touch that's, with the whole. that's fine that's yeah. a movie um the only reason i've seen it is because i have an older sister who's totally of that generation yeah but it, it's definitely not a touchstone for for people our age but anyway um i remember watching The Breakfast Club when I was like seven or eight years old. And that's a movie about high schoolers. And the emotions presented in that movie felt so foreign to me as as a seven or eight year old. (laughs) I just couldn't understand what was so heartbreaking about um, what was going on in these teenagers lives. And I distinctly remember thinking like, oh, man, you know, I can't wait until I'm Seventeen or eighteen, you know, ten years from now, when I'm yeah. going to be adult enough to to have these complicated emotions, and you know, I think Breakfast Club <laughs> is is maybe a weak example because you, I rewatch that movie now as an adult, and I'm just like, no, seventeen-year-old actually acts this way. But the the point being that I I feel similarly um, when I'm reading these Carver stories, like as you know, technically an adult person, um, but I'm, I'm reading his stories and just thinking like, man, it's sure going to be interesting when I'm in my forties and fifties. <laughs> Boy, 50s. I can't wait till
0: my forties and fifties. Yeah. So I can so have I
1: can... <laughs> adult emotions, you know, and that, that's like the sensation that I'm, uh, that was caused by reading these stories. And, and the other thing. So I, I have two thoughts about that. Um, the, the first thing that I want to go back and talk to a little bit on is, the use of interiority in his writing, or I guess technically the lack of interiority in his his characters, um, unlike, you know, to contrast to Monroe again, where she like really digs into the interior lives of her her characters, whereas um, in these Carver short stories, you basically don't know what the inner thinking of any of these people are he, and it, he
0: sort of gives evidence of interiority rather than direct access
1: right and and it forces you as the reader to like p- put in your own interior feelings while you're reading these stories so you can imagine well you know we don't have a child but i i could theoretically imagine what that would feel like um in that instant if you're like your kid being seriously ill and like you're trying to deal with your your life just happening around you, right? And it's not that much of a stretch for me to put myself in the place of that character and imagine what would be going on in my own brain. And I appreciate that <laughs> his his stories force you to to do that. Or And um, I'm wondering if you felt similarly or if you think maybe is that a, a smart move on his part? Is it like kind of a manipulative move to to make his stories seem grander than they actually are because the reader is in some ways doing part of the emotional lifting that's going on or do you have any thoughts um
0: you know i actually had not thought about this until you just brought it up now but if i had to come up with a with a <laughs> some kind of real opinion on the fly i i think the sense i get is that these stories are aided by a lack of concrete interiority rather than harmed by them. And I think part of the reason is I think they take extremely mundane, otherwise kind of mundane and typical life experiences. um, And I think they, I think they sort of in a lot of these stories, I think they lend dignity to those interactions and, and those emotions by leaving them almost mysterious. Right. I think that, if we had more direct access to what was going on in these characters' heads, I think it might collapse down the situation in a way that doesn't do justice to the human experience that is being portrayed.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, and I I found that really seductive about this book. You know, I I think if you and I think that's probably part of the reason these stories are so short. You know, they're hard, they're barely they they make an Alice Munro story seem like a like a you know, novelette or something. I mean, th- these are like moments more than stories. And I think that th- they work really well in this, I- in in the format they're presented because you're, you're plunged into this moment of extreme detail. I mean, you, you may not be getting a lot of sort of just narrated thoughts of characters. I mean, you do, but they're often sort of oblique and fragmented the way that actual thought is, you know, whereas a lot of times when you, when you read interior thoughts of characters in in fiction, often it's presented in a sort of collated and linear way that I don't think necessarily actually maps to how we think about things. And I think the way these stories like home in on these fragmented specific details and then scraps of thought and little motions and repeated words, I, I think really gets to the heart of how human beings interact with the world. And then I think he... That is further aided by, I, I think, sort of meta concerns like titles and names. Um, he picks really interesting titles. And I think the choice of the title, what we talk about when we talk about love for the overall, for the whole collection, you know, which, which story we don't get till almost the end is really intriguing because it that in itself paints a really bleak portrait, right? Like if this is what we talk about when we talk about love, then good Lord, you know, <laughs> that's really, that's dismal. Um but just to, to cap off this, also very appropriately fragmented thought that I'm trying to make, uh, there was um, there was a, a a bit that gets to this like repeating fragmented uh, um, uh, like I don't know style that I'm talking about in the the very last story, which I I really liked called One More Thing, and there's this this character. Um, LD who is one assumes the sort of husband and father in the story and he's kind of just been throwing a fit and his you know presumably wife or partner and daughter are completely fed up with him and telling him to leave and he's he has these just like verbal tics these obsessions um he's saying I'm going, LD said. All right, I'm going right now, he said. It suits me to a T. You're nuts here anyway. This is a nuthouse. There's another life out there. Believe me, this is no picnic, this nuthouse. Uh, he could feel air from the hole in the window on his face. That's where I'm going, he said. Out there, he said, and pointed. Good, Maxine said. All right, I'm going, LD said. Uh, he slammed his, his hand down on the table. And he, the way that he keeps repeating, like, nuthouse and you're all nuts, and he's like, I'm going, and like, that's where I'm going we have so few words in each of these stories, you know, relative to most fiction and Carver chooses to like almost waste so many of them with just like repetition and these same words. And that to me really encapsulated a lot of how the tragedy of these characters and stories came through. You know, these characters are in these like really heightened situations, but they still can't organize their thoughts in any useful way. And we sort of, get to look into their brain by seeing what they're inadvertently like repeating or obsessing on or focusing on. So anyway, that I don't know if that answers your questions at all, but there's a bunch of stuff that came to my mind. Yeah. Were there any other stories that were particularly notable to you that you wanted to discuss?
1: Um I mean you mentioned the the story about the the old couple playing bingo, which I think might have been my favorite in the in oh, really? entire collection yeah it was th- after the denim i i uh i thought that was that was really great that that feeling of uh of being older and it both being older and and, and feeling envious of the younger generation which is you know the, the most obvious part of that story but also just in general like recognizing the sensation of being out in the world and dealing with your own problems and and seeing other people seemingly acting carefree or or ignorant and just assuming that they don't know or that right. they they themselves are not dealing with the same kind of
0: or or even that they're like thumbing their nose at your problems mm-hmm. which they don't even know about.
1: Right. Um that was all v- like sadly very familiar feeling and and I thought that the whole s- that pulled five or however many pages was yeah. was really well done i mean in general like what i what i liked about all of these stories is that you're right he, he carver is examining m- mundane might not be the right word but certainly um very universal yeah em- emotions that i think basically every human has experience with and he's doing it in this very straightforward um unembarrassed way so many of these short stories are about um either infidelity or just divorce just the the dissolution of a relationship in the same way over and over again right and and that's definitely still something that writers focus on i mean you know for this podcast we've read a couple of modern books who deal that deal with um divorce or relationships yep. but the the difference being in these carver stories is that there's there's no irony um he's never like s- self-aware of the fact that he he's writing about divorce in in a world where we know that there is there are so many more problems that humanity at large faces that trump like one person's marital marital problems right whereas i feel like when you read some some more modern books that are dealing with similar topics there's this kind of like Apology in mm. in the writing where the author is like, look, I know that this is maybe not the most important <laughs> right. issue, but like, I still want to write about it anyway. So I'm hoping that by kind of like acknowledging the fact that we all know that this doesn't that this is a little bit inconsequential, that I can get away with like still writing a 400 page novel on it. Whereas like Harvard, he just he's not making any like. You get the sense that it wouldn't even occur to him that this is something you would have to right. apologize for, a really good point, for. Writing, yeah. um, which is so, so refreshing to read in in these stories, and then the fact that um, I think his his stories take on this universal quality, also because all the characters feel just like normal people. They're just like very middle class, like average sensation that you get from reading all of his stories, um, which t- we were talking about like preconceptions that we had about Carver. Um, I had no idea that he is was living in Washington, Washington state mm. while he was yeah. writing. Like there's For, like
0: most of his life. Yeah. I mean, he yeah.
1: he was born in Oregon and then spent a significant part of his life in Washington. Um, Because there, there are a lot of references to like Yakima, which is really? a, a place in, in Washington. Like I had always just kind of associated his writing with like a Midwestern state. And I was kind of shocked yeah. to find out, although I guess you could say like those parts of Washington are very similar sure. to the midwest but like you know he's a west coast writer um
0: yeah there's definitely a like west coast working class vibe that permeates that this book that i found really i mean i think refreshing for some of the reasons you state it's a different thing but it was <clears throat> you know to your point about the unembarrassed addressing of a lot of these issues um there i i completely agree i mean i guess i don't have that much to add um But yeah, it was nice to see these topics presented in a way that doesn't call it doesn't in any way call into question that this is just a normal part of life for people, especially people in the sort of uh, lower or middle class, you know, where uh, I think a lot of um, fiction kind of aspires to the, um, you know, to tie these like Everyday occurrences to like a grander theme or serve as a metaphor for for something bigger, um, and yeah, there's there was just something really nice and refreshing about. I mean, <laughs> nice and refreshing. These stories are largely sort of sad and tragic,
1: but but not pessimistic,
0: right? Yeah, sure,
1: sure. Could, yeah. Would you would you say that these stories have a like a negative view on?
0: I no, it, that's a really interesting question. I don't know because I think. This, I think these stories suggest in aggregate that <laughs> things turn out worse than you expect, but also that that isn't evidence of, like, a cosmic, like, tragedy. Mm-hmm. It, it is sort of just an acknowledgement that, like, this is just what you realize happens and you keep living in it. Like, I, the uh, After the Denim, the story about the older couple is maybe a good example of that because it that is almost – that story almost serves as like an explanation of why every generation always thinks younger people are idiots or losing something or, or not, you know, because th- those older characters are um, it's almost as though the older characters expect the younger characters to be like time traveling versions of the older characters who have already learned all the things they've learned that are time traveling back to be younger and have all the benefit of like hindsight, mm-hmm. you know, but like that story in con in context of all these other stories, which are actually about middle-aged people, not sort of elderly people. Um, they're all kind of those older people in waiting, you know, like everyone is on that track to be the person who has that hindsight and sees all of this stuff and then is unable to like fix it all. But that's just kind of how the world works. Like the, I think the book is suggesting that like, we're all in that together um it's certainly not optimistic uh, like it's not i don't think it's necessarily like painting a rosy picture but yeah it's probably not pessimistic either it's trying to just suggest this is how the world works
1: uh, the the one aspect of that that i sort of object to is his view on men and how men in the world act um it, basically th- Most of these stories are are from the perspective of a male character. There are a Uh few that are are from a woman's point of view, but it's mostly the men. And it seems like he is suggesting that a man's fate is to just be kind of a violent um, asshole, either like – well, sometimes just straight up, like murderous, um, is the is the implication. And yeah. but definitely, like, <laughs> if you're married, and you're a, du- a straight dude, like you're probably gonna cheat on your wife at some point. Is... Although there are
0: women who cheated as well in this book.
1: Well, sure, because I mean, there has to be a woman. But it's it's very much like this is the sin of the men, and the the women who they have these affairs with are just kind of they're just a background element of the story, but it's really like in, in the same way, it's like, it's the sin of an alcoholic man to be like violent and aggressive. It's like, this is also kind of a foregone conclusion. And I don't necessarily um, agree with that. Maybe in, if you think about the culture in which these short stories were written, um, it, it makes more sense. I mean, because infidelity is a huge, like, topic in, in basically all of these stories. And I was thinking about that, because in in modern writing, I mean, you still get infidelity, because it's an easy way to insert drama into a story. But it, it doesn't feel like it, it carries the same kind of weight that or inevitability, I guess that it does in, in the Carver stories. And I was trying to f- figure out why that would be the case. And a conclusion that I came to is that even in the 70s, right, like women, um, especially like middle class women, are in this position where like they need a marriage, right, for stability. And um, like divorce is, is probably still not a super common or obvious option. So if you're in a relationship that like gets to the point where this guy is just gonna like cheat on you, um, it, it, I could see why that would be inevitable in the way that like male, female relationships were 50, 40 years ago. Um, That doesn't (coughs) seem like it would be really relevant today. And so in in that way, his view of men just like constantly being the ones who are going to destroy the people in their lives makes a little bit more sense. Although after reading a couple of short stories were like, oh, here's another husband who's like an alcoholic and going to cheat on his wife. That got a little grating. Um, But overall, I think I thought it was fine.
0: Yeah. I mean, I will say, I don't think the, I don't think the stories presented the notion that um at least I didn't pick up from the stories, a suggestion that like, this is the male animal and this is what he does. And like, So it is written. Um, I got the sense that these stories were all kind of about self-destructive people or not all, but often about self-destructive people and the way in which a certain kind of man is self-destructive is through alcoholism or infidelity, um, things like that. But I didn't get the sense that because there is also, you know, you sometimes pick up on a sense in certain writing that like, Oh, this is just what men do. And that's just how it is. And I don't think I really got that sense from these stories um, because I didn't think the, the, I didn't think the, the way the stories presented the actual direct interactions with the men and women in these stories, like painted that picture. But I don't know. It's, it's hard to know.
1: The, the, I think um, these two stories fall back to back to one another, but the, Tell the women we're going, oh, and yeah. and too too much water. Um, I mm-hmm. think I, is not the exact title, but
0: just super quick, so not like premise
1: of each one. Uh, the first that tell the women we're going is about. <laughs>
0: That's the most shocking story in this whole book.
1: Yeah. Um, it's it's about like these two two men who childhood friends and they like, grow up and both get married, and um, it's clear that it, one, if not both of them, are kind of just bored with their domestic lives and they they go out for an afternoon and are drinking and run into these two teenage girls on the, their bikes so for it's, it's it's clear that they're trying to like yeah
0: they want to pick them up right, and they follow them right, and eventually and, one of the men ends up murdering it's implied that
1: women. he he killed yeah. uh, but it's not until like the last sentence of the story that the the the, the violent intention is is made clear up until that point um it's just him trying, like them trying to sexually um, hit on these women, and then in the very end, they just, just, I guess, kill them. Well, the one guy does. The one the other guy, guy
0: is like across a ravine or something. It's
1: but like, it's implied that he's like complicit in what is is going on there, and then so there's. Uh, I don't.
0: I don't agree with that. Well because the the story explicitly has them like split up physically mm-hmm. and so that the guy is like far away from that happening so he just sees it from a distance sure
1: but his reaction to it is so just straightforward and indirect that i took that to mean kind of like he was not objecting necessarily to what was going on in front of him so there's that story and then um the the followings story or one that comes very close afterwards is told from the perspective of a wife, um, whose husband had gone away on a fishing, a weekend fishing trip where he and his male friends discover a dead woman's body right, and, right. and wait, you know, they basically like continue to, to have their fishing weekend and, and don't tell the police that they found this body until several days later, um, and I think possibly – I at first I thought the implication might have been that they actually killed this woman. I mean,
0: I think you're supposed to maybe suspect that because it's clear the wife is like questioning what happened.
1: Sure. But but, it,
0: but I think by the end of the story, it's clear they did not.
1: But it's still questioning like, you know, the fact that these men so strongly disrespected this dead woman where they just thought, well, we'll we'll still have our fun before we have to, you know, actually – go notify the authorities about that. So that, that story combined with like the story of this man actually murdering teenagers um, due to some kind of frustration, right, m- made me really think that, okay, Carver suspects that there's something particularly violent in men and he's trying to display that. And I don't necessarily know – if I agree with his tactics of presenting that, although I really did like the story, um, tell the women were going. I thought that was absolutely fantastic because it was so threatening. And then, like, it already was super threatening when they were following yeah, these right. women. And then in the end, it actually, like, 100% became. Threatening instead of this just implied like sexual threat that men just have over women. It's like, oh, and then also, you know, men can be incredibly violent to women, um, which I thought was great. But just reading a lot of these stories in succession made me wonder if, you know, is Carver trying to say something larger about men being more prone to this kind of evilness? Do you not think
0: that's true, though? I mean, just given historical evidence? (laughs)
1: Well, I mean, I don't know if we I mean, want... I'm not
0: saying it is or isn't. I just mean that doesn't seem like a completely uh, out of you know, bounds dynamic to suggest.
1: I guess what I m- mostly object to is the idea that men... T- talking more about the infidelity, that men can commit infidelity and, and women are just kind of along for the ride um of that or like women drive men to this there's a story about the the simple um, man who has who keeps all those fish on his farm and he doesn't want anyone yeah. to come and fish and then in the end he you know um his wife is having an affair and he ends up like Killing her and then killing himself and, and one of the other characters is just like, see, this is what women drive. Yeah, but
0: do you think that's Carver's perspective?
1: No, but I I don't know. I, I guess I don't know. I've never read yeah. any interviews with Carver, but like there but, are. No, a- I
0: just mean, but from the text, like I strongly don't get that sense from the text
1: but you have to admit that there are a lot of these stories, it's like the men being much worse than the women. Even though women do awful things, too, in these stories, I'm not saying that he he's pretending. But the, the story
0: you just mentioned is one in which the woman is the one who has the affair and not the, the man in the story.
1: Well, I'm, I'm saying that th- I don't think that there in any of these stories is the... If a woman is having an affair, the story is not from her perspective. Um, it's always something that's happening to the male character. Um, and then it's like, in this case, and in, in this story, you can read between the lines and assume like, well, this marriage does not seem to be a happy or good one. So it's not that surprising that this woman in these circumstances might try to to go other places to seek stability and compassion. So, but at the same time, it's like, it's like not shocking that he would have this re- reaction to his wife having an affair, even though I think the implication is that it's kind of partially the husband's fault for not being a good partner. Um, and, and it's, it's that, that, um, I am objecting to where it's either like men are weak so they have affairs or when a woman a, – when your wife has an affair like men are then like violent in response. And you don't, um,
0: you don't think that reflects reality in some way?
1: I think it, it, ref, it reflects a certain kind of reality but not one that I think is a good reality. But do you think reality? the book is
0: claiming it's a good reality?
1: I think the book is a little bit too convinced that of of the male and female gender, that men are the ones with the deeper capacity for um, violence.
0: Okay. Um. Did you want to talk about the title story, what we talk about when we talk about love? I think you singled that out as another of your, your favorites. It was for me as well.
1: I only want to talk about it because it was in Birdman.
0: Oh, what? Yeah. <laughs> I don't even... I'm not I don't even remember.
1: Yeah, I remember they're adapting. Oh, of course, a Raymond Carver's yeah. story. Yeah, yeah, it's it's that one that they're adapting.
0: I had forgot about that. That's the only reason you wanted to talk about it. <laughs> you
1: didn't. Um. So it's the the whole story is is um about these two couples who are dr- drinking together and and talking about what what love is, and one of the women is talking about how she had a a husband or a boyfriend or something who like claims he was so in love with her that he tried to kill her. And then he committed suicide when um, he found out that he, he couldn't be with her because she was having an affair with this, this other man. Right. And and it's just another instance where it's like the man of the story is the one who's, who's being so um, aggressively violent. And it just seems and, inevitable that these relationships are going to fall apart. It seems to me that the implication is that we're, all relationships are kind of doomed from the start. And we're just kidding ourselves when we um, talk about being in love with someone because like 10, 15 years in the future, we it's very possible that we won't – that we'll be in love with a, a different person. And therefore, like when we say we're in love with someone now, it's, it's kind of – we, we don't actually know what we're talking about. Um, and I don't know if I agree with that look on human relationships, but maybe I'm saying that because I'm like 28 years old and, and want to <laughs> believe that.
0: Uh, but you've had different relationships.
1: Sure. I, I yeah, I, I agree with the idea that in a moment we can feel like we're in love with one person and then it is totally possible years later to be in love with a different person and no longer feel that strong emotion for somebody who you were in a relationship with in the past. I think that's, that's definitely true. What I don't necessarily think is true is that, that love necessarily has to run out between two people. Um, I, I definitely think it does and it's, and it,
0: but you don't you don't think that it's significant that the oldest couple in the book seems to still be like totally in love? They're just I mean they're sort of crotchety, but they're totally getting along.
1: Yeah, that was one example out of many. But It is the
0: only example about elderly people,
1: I guess. Yeah, I don't know. I again, this is probably just having to do with my age and and the fact that we just got married a couple of months ago. But uh, I don't necessarily agree with this idea that. Um, most relationships are going to fail in in these dramatic ways, but maybe that is incorrect.
0: Uh, yeah, I, I I guess I just didn't take that as a thesis statement of the book. I mean, I I think Carver chooses to write about particular kinds of relationships because he's, yeah, because you couldn't I couldn't write
1: books about marriages that are fine. But
0: he does. I mean the 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 marriage about the kid who gets hit by the car, like by all indications that's a perfectly stable family. they just dealing with an element of tragedy. Um and then the couple's in that's the story we're talking about seem to be like other than the fact that they're sort of tipsy and in that weird kind of like edgy had a, one too many drinks and are sort of letting your guard down a little bit too much other than the fact that they're in that at the moment. I think the story is doesn't mean to suggest that those actual relationships aren't um, normal or stable or loving.
1: Yeah, but you kind of suspect that they are not going to last, right? Um, I, I think that's a main implication of what we talk about when we talk about love is that
0: – The story or
1: the- – The story specifically is that – 'Cause in in the end, um, the the character the from whose perspective the story is, um I think his name is Nick, he has this realization that It's like they're all talking about love around this table and he he interprets it as just like noise that's that's going on, like meaningless, right? Like the um meaning being that no one knows what love really is and, and therefore it is really um hubristic of us is that sure um to claim that we both like know what it is and then also that we we feel it because you know how can you if you don't really know what something is how can you be so sure that you're you're feeling it um with another person right and and so that that's kind of what I saw that story as and I don't (laughs) I don't necessarily know if I if I want to believe that that is True. In which case, I am th- that stereotypical young couple who is like refusing to <laughs> um, take in an older person's wisdom, and I'm just gonna have to like, make these mistakes on my own, just like every person in the world has to. But
0: maybe I'm just more fatalistic than you are. <laughs> I, I uh, maybe because I you're find a that man. To, not as hard to swallow. Sure. I mean, maybe it's that I'm the children of divorced parents, and you're not.
1: That's that's. probably the large part to do with it because i every time i read stories like this i always think about my parents who have been together for like 30 some years but at the same time we said before like uh it probably would not be a very interesting story to write about a relationship that just like continues to putter along you know sure um but like having said all this i i still on the whole really thought that these stories were great and, and definitely worth reading. I was kind of shocked um, at some of the negative reactions that people were having to this collection um, on the forums and just on general like Twitter spaces. Um, and and I kind of wonder if if some of that is – it's similar to the objections that I was just raising where it's maybe like if you're of a certain age, like – It's totally possible that um, it is hard to really appreciate what he's writing about. And I still think – I think that's true for me even to a certain extent where it's it's like I'm still so young, right? It's hard to – because my life has not been filled with a lot of these disappointments, um, it's hard to accept – them um and maybe in 20 years I'll read this story and think more positively although I hope not because then the implication is that like bad things have happened but
0: but bad things do happen right I, I mean, know I, th- I think part of the reason I don't take the same issue that you do with these is because I think it is undeniable that these things do happen and these stories do exist and these lives do I mean I, I think even just from my life I could tell you I could Point to certainly not some of the more outrageous, like murder-related examples, but a lot of the more just domestic disappointments, either in my own family or in just families I was aware of growing up. I could probably find all of these, and they don't mean the same thing to me because I wasn't old enough to appreciate them, but certain or to like empathize directly, you know. And I, I certainly not when I was a kid, um, but but I feel like all of these things are all, all most of these stories are things that just that do exist in the world. And I, I, I do like the, as you had said earlier, the unembarrassed way Carver approaches them. Um, and I think that it's fair, you know, if, if these stories exist, I think it's fair game to tell them. Um, and it, it may be true or it may not be true that, that in the, in choosing to tell these particular stories, Carver is outlining some kind of manifesto about, about, you know, the doomed nature of human relationships or something. But I, but I think it's equally likely and and. I think that he's simply choosing a theme he's choosing a theme for this collection and deciding to tell a number of of stories that that center around that theme and I think he I think did so excellently.
1: The one thing that I I guess I should add about this that I have an objection to is in all the stories being um or the majority of the stories being Men who are the ones committing the the terrible acts, um, like having women constantly be in the the victim role, I think encourages people to just continue to see women as victims of of male aggression and violence, which like, yes, like you were saying, is to, true to a certain extent, but it's like denying agency and power to Women writ large um where it's just the assumption is that um a, a man is going to, is always going to visit violence on on women and women will always be the victims of male violence when we know in in life that that is not always the case and it's this is not like the fated relationship between men and women, nor should we think of it in, in that way because like, it's kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy. And and that's just the objection that I have where I wish that there had been like, I don't know if the women who are having affairs like were given more. Um, I know that we were talking about how the, no, no characters have any interiority, but um, I, w- I just wish that there had been a little bit more thought given to women doing bad things versus just like men always being the ones who do bad things to women.
0: Um do you want to talk about next month's book?
1: Sure. Um so for September, right? We will be reading um a book called I Love Dick by Chris Kraus um which is being I think potentially going to be made into an Amazon um, Prime TV show. Um, It's it's available as a pilot right right, now. right? And I think it's going to get picked up as a full season um, TV show. And so I thought that would be a good excuse for me to reread it and for you to read it for the first time. I hadn't even
0: realized it was an Amazon pilot until after we already chose it. I didn't realize that was an even – Involved in the decision.
1: Yeah, that's why I was thinking about it again. Um, but I Love Dick is, man, it's a, it's a really hard book to explain, but I think it'll be a nice contrast to all these Raymond Carver stories about like mostly from the, the male perspective of a female male relationship. And then I Love Dick, um, in, in this case, Dick is both the name of a, a man who, um, the, main female character in the story is in love with, but also like a very obvious, like phallic reference. So um I love Dick is about the female part of the male, female relationship. And, and I just think really great. So I'm excited to read it again. Cool. Yeah.
0: All right. So thanks for joining us as always. Yeah. Um, if you like this show, tell a friend or give us a rating or review on itunes that helps a lot um because really the only way that we spread the word about the show Uh, you can follow us on twitter at idle book club and we will be back next month to discuss i love dick by chris kraus uh possibly soon a full uh, amazon television series thanks bye bye Hey folks, I wanted to tack on an apology for the lateness of this episode, which we didn't expect, uh, and also a warning that we have a couple weeks of travel coming up. Uh, We are going on a vacation to Japan, and so uh, it is likely that the next episode of the Idol Book Club will also be late, unfortunately, so look for it um, later in the month or possibly early November. Uh, Thanks, and talk to you then.